0: <coughs> uh, Galatians uh, is probably my favourite uh, letter of the New Testament, and um, that's not just my opinion, I'm joined in that by such greats as Martin Luther and, and others who thought that Galatians was uh, the absolute bomb, and it really is. Um, i just do a, a quick introduction, and um, it's very easy to do a quite a quick introduction to Galatians because... We know almost nothing about the background, actually, to the letter. These are churches in a region called Galatia. We're not even quite sure where that is, uh, somewhere in, in Turkey, um, although Turkey was just a regular, normal, the Roman empire at the time. Um, and uh, these churches have been planted by Paul. We don't exactly know when, not really mentioned in Acts. Um, but we know it happened. And, uh, and that's all we know, really, until this letter bursts onto the scene. Um, and this letter, I would say, is the most angry letter that the Apostle Paul wrote that we have still in the Bible. Possibly the most angry letter in the New Testament. And um, let me just uh, give you some examples of kind of Paul's rhetoric, which gets progressively more colorful, actually, as you go through the, the letter. He starts off in, in chapter 1, verse 6 with, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. And that's a a pretty strong start. If you look at any of the other Paul's letters, this is the way he starts. He introduces himself, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle. Then he goes on to to give a blessing, uh, a kind of, it's just a standard part of ancient letter writing. It's there in Galatians, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in, in pretty much all of his other letters, he goes on to give thanks to the people he's writing to. Uh, he gives thanks for their faith or for the good works that he's heard that they've done. Galatians, he jumps straight in with, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. He doesn't actually have time to give thanks for anything in these Galatian churches. He is cross with them. Uh, it gets stronger. Um, in, in verse 8, we find him saying of of people, let them be eternally condemned, uh, which is a pretty strong thing to say about anybody. Um, Paul says that about some teachers who are operative in Galatia. Chapter 3, verse 1, he calls them, you foolish Galatians, Um, which I always think, you you foolish people, it doesn't sound very strong in in English, but it's, you "You idiots, you morons. Um, and uh, my personal favourite in chapter 5 verse 12 uh, some people have been coming to Galatia and uh, suggesting that the Galatian Christians need to be circumcised and Paul's response is as for those agitators I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves Um, which again is is strong language and uh, it just shows the the depth of Paul's feeling um, perhaps why not just Chop the whole lot off, uh, is effectively what he's saying. So uh, there we go. Galatians is is an angry letter in many ways. But it's also a letter of really deep concern and love for the Galatian Christians. Why is Paul so angry? Well, we we, we get it in various uh, different places. In in chapter 1, verse 7, we find out that evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Uh, Paul says, Paul Paul has been told that since he's left these Galatian Christians, other people have come in and have started to preach a different message. It's in some ways only subtly different, but it's different enough that Paul says, it's no gospel at all. It's a perversion of the gospel of Christ. It's a disaster. And we kind of get a sense for how terrible he thinks it's going to be for the Galatians to go along with this conversion of the Gospel. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. And um, He's not just a bit fed up that he put a lot of work into Galatia and it doesn't seem to be coming together. He's saying, I'm worried for you that all of the preaching that I did, all of the discipleship that I did amongst you, is, in the end, going to yield absolutely no fruit. I'm worried that you're not going to persevere in the Gospel. I'm worried that you're going to fall away from Christ. And it will all have been for nothing. So Paul has um, some anger, mostly directed at these false teachers. Some of it directed at the Galatian Christians as well, for listening to them. They should have known better. But he also has this incredible compassion. Because he knows that the Galatians need to get the gospel right. They can't be seduced into following after perverted versions of the gospel, twisted versions of the gospel, which Paul says are no gospel at all. So what is uh, the gospel that these Galatians need to get right? Uh, what is it? What is it about? Uh, what is it like? Well, We're going to um, look at that a bit over the next, this week and then the next three weeks. Um, in different aspects. Um, but today I just really want to say one thing from chapter 1, and that is, the gospel is God's gospel. Uh, I don't know what you were, were chatting about uh, when I was asking to chat about what gospel meant to you. Um, it's a word that just means good news, a good message, uh, but, but that's kind of fairly contentless in many ways. For Paul, the decisive thing about the Gospel in Galatians 1 is that it is God's Gospel. And I just want to say three things about that because sermons are meant to have three points and, and coincidentally I saw three things to say in this chapter. Number one. Paul says the Gospel comes from God, not from human beings. Uh, in fact, he says it over and over again in you know. the picked up on that as uh, as Tim was reading. Firstly, it's his definition of an apostle. Paul, an apostle, just means somebody who was sent. Then he goes on to clarify, sent not from man, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. And Paul is saying, I didn't get it into my head that it would be a great idea to become an apostle. God sent me. Jesus Christ sent me. My commission comes uh, from God, from the highest authority. That's um, confirmed as he goes on to give his autobiography from chapter 1, verse 11 onwards. I want you to know, brothers, the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man. I wasn't taught it. I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, it was in fact impossible that I could have just come up with this idea. Impossible even that I would have accepted it from any human being. You've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. Uh, Paul is saying, this message, it wasn't something that just came to me, and I thought, yeah, that's quite interesting, and turned my life around. I wasn't the kind of person who would have gone for this if it hadn't come from a really high authority, if it hadn't come from God. He goes on to say, I didn't even learn it from the other apostles. Because um, he says, I did not consult any man. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. Comes from God, not human beings. And I think it's easy for us to read this as if Paul is being a bit defensive. uh, A bit kind of standing on his own authority. uh, Saying, look, I heard from God, so you'd better listen to me. it's really important that Paul made this clear. It's really important that the Galatians know that this message, this gospel, comes from God. Because, actually, the way human ideas work is that they come into fashion and go out of fashion. And you can take it or leave it. And you can pick up the bits that you enjoy and ignore the bits that you don't like so much. I um, have devoted a substantial chunk of my life as it has been um, to the study of philosophy and um, if you look at the history of philosophy that's the way it goes Uh, socrates said some stuff we don't really know what he said because only plato wrote it down and plato made up quite a lot of it but it seems likely that that plato took the bits of socrates that he liked and wrote them down and left out some bits Um, and then when plato got a bit older he had a disciple aristotle Aristotle said more or less the opposite to Plato on most questions, uh, so there was that. And Plotinus came along and thought that Plato was a bit cooler than Aristotle, but not completely. So he adopted a lot of Plato, but pulled in a little bit of Aristotle. And um, I won't carry on from ancient Greece to the modern day because that would get very dull. Um, but you see what I'm saying? If the gospel were just a human idea, something that somebody had thought up, then Why not, if the next guy comes along and says, why don't we change it a little bit, why not? That's what we've always done with philosophy and systems of ideas. We've always just taken what we liked and left what we didn't like. Things change with, with times and seasons. And Paul says that's not the way it's going to work with the gospel. The reason you cannot listen to these new teachers who have come in and started telling you new things, is because this isn't just part of the endless mill of human ideas that go round and round and round, and ideologies that come and pass, and even, dare I say religions that rise up and then disappear. It's not part of that. This comes from God. It comes from completely outside the human system. So you need to listen to this not changeable there's no substitute there's one God and so there's only one gospel and Paul is really strong about it, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one he preached to you, let him be eternally condemned Paul is saying to the Galatians even if I changed my mind and came back to you and tried to change the message, you must ignore me even if an angel came and started to speak to you, you must ignore them. There's one God and one Gospel message. So it comes from God and not human beings. And I should say, I'm going to rattle through this stuff in Galatians and then talk about what it means for us at the end, just in case you're thinking, I oh, don't really see how this is relevant. Is that alright? That's so I'm going to, be, I'm going to one more. So it comes from God and not human beings Um, secondly, it tells us what God has done for us and not what we need to do for God. And that's going to come out really, really strongly in the next couple of weeks. It's already here in chapter 1. Just look at Paul's uh, blessing in verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is Paul's potted introductory summary of the gospel. Uh, And it's almost like he's put it here right at the beginning of Galatians. Just to say, remember what it was that I did say to you? Listen to this. And what he says is that Jesus, in accordance with God the Father's will, sacrificed himself to deal with our sins and the punishment they deserved. And to rescue us from this present evil age. The present evil age in, in Paul and in the New Testament generally is this the setup of this world which is opposed to God. It's everything about this fallen world in all of its existence that is, is anti God. And uh, the, the Jews were expecting a new age, an age when. God would be ruling and it would all be be, be better. And Paul is saying, Jesus died and rose in order to to rescue us from the present evil age, from the the world as it's set up against God, and to already bring us into the new age. You don't see that very clearly here, but uh, if you look at um, 2 Corinthians 5 17, if anyone is in Christ, new creation says Paul. And uh, new creation is not just this particular person has been renovated and made new. It is, the new creation is replacement for this whole present evil age. And you as a Christian are already in it. Already new creation. That's a bit, a bit old but um, it's pretty cool as well. Just notice that this is really cosmic stuff. Not just kind of I think you can read these verses and get the impression that the gospel is: this world is bad. Jesus comes along, sort of in a helicopter, and, and lowers a rope and plucks us out of this world, and uh, I'm saved, and the world goes down. But it isn't that at all. It is: this world is bad. Jesus is going to restore it to goodness. He started that in his own resurrection. And think of Bear, the line which in the wardrobe. Uh, death itself starts to work backwards, the restoration of creation. Uh, I've been a bit line with which is more than be today. Um and he's saying you Christians are part of that now. You're like advanced outposts of the new creation. Just as Jesus in his resurrection body is an advanced outpost, or that's the foundation of the new creation. Does that make sense? I think it's good news. Uh, it is confused because that's what gospel means um, but this do you see how this is all about what God has done in Jesus? It's a message about what has been done and uh, that's actually that actually comes across really clearly again in Paul's autobiography look at verses 15 and 16 Paul's just told his story about how he persecuted the church was well advanced in Judaism. Then he says, "But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, etc., etc." And now just notice what Paul does in that section relative to what God does. The answer is that Paul doesn't really do anything at all. He was so apart from birth. God, by his grace, i.e. by his undeserved favor, revealed Jesus Christ to him. And then he was alive. He was a new creation. Paul didn't really bring anything at all to the party. Uh, he was, in fact, we know more than he said in Galatians, we know that Paul was actually on his way to persecute the church at the time that this happened. See what he's saying? The gospel is a message of what God has done. It is not a message about what I need to do for God. That's going to be really, really important in the next couple of weeks as we look at what the false teachers in Galatia are saying. But already, I just want to get it into our heads. When Paul says gospel, what he means is done, done, absolutely done, finished. It doesn't mean... Here's a message which, once you accept it, will start you out on something. That's kind of true at one level, but firstly, primarily, it's a message about what has been done. What God has done in Jesus. It comes from God, not human beings. It's a message about what God has done, not what human beings need to do. And uh, just there, here, it gives glory to God and not to human beings. Look at verse 10. Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Maybe. We don't know this, but maybe the, uh, the new teachers in Galatia have been saying of Paul, yeah, his message about God having done it all and us not having to contribute anything is a really people-pleasing message. He's just saying that to make life easy for people. He is he's not somebody who's seeking to please God in what he does. He's somebody who just wants to give you an easy ride so that you will like it, so that you will welcome his authority. I can imagine that being said. We don't know whether it was actually said directly. But the point Paul wants to make is this. Actually, this is not the message you would preach if you wanted to please people. It's not the message you would preach if you wanted to get people on your side. Because ultimately, this message gives no glory to Paul, the messenger. It gives no glory to the preacher, gives no glory to the person who listens, no glory to the person who accepts it. It gives all the glory to God because it says the message comes from God and you human beings couldn't have thought it up. You couldn't. You're weak intellectually. And it tells a story about what God has done to save you and not what you can do to save yourselves. You're weak morally, weak before God. But God has done everything until God gets glory. I think um, sometimes we, we lose this. I think particularly when we've been Christians for a little while. We know that the message of grace, the message that God has done it all, the message that God has told us everything we need to know it, We know that that is great news. And I think we sometimes forget it's also quite offensive news. Because think through the implications it does mean that I am patriotic (coughs) in the sense that I can't work it out, I can't contribute anything, I can't earn it. You know um, when somebody gives you something or perhaps you're um, in a pub and somebody buys a round and you you get a drink for free and that's great. but you you are gonna buy the next round. Because if you don't, you're cheap, you're obligated to the other person. Somehow they've gained something over you. You look bad in comparison to them. Maybe that's not the way you think. Um, people people have brought around to me can testify it's not the way I think. <laughs> um, but there is something of that in our culture and just in humanity generally. Do you know what? I'd be happy to accept a gift from you, God, so long as you uh, let me pay you back, so long as you let me buy it in the end. And there's none of that in Paul's gospel. No room for that. And so the gospel completely takes my power away. I can't even pay God back. And the thing that really gets my philosopher friends is that the Gospel completely takes my power away to work out what the universe and my life is all about. That's what philosophy has been trying to do. Well, it it was trying to do it until about the 19th century, then it gave up and just started playing silly games with words. But it was a serious endeavour to try to work out what the universe was all about, what my role in it was, what's the end goal, what's the point, And uh, the Gospel says, you can't actually work that out because the Gospel, the Gospel which is the message which reveals what the universe is all about, comes from God, and only from God. And suddenly I'm intellectually powerless as well. And then there's another thing, isn't there? This is a tremendously, tremendously intolerant message back to Paul. If anybody preaches another gospel, that would be eternally condemned. It's an incredibly intolerant message. Because it's the one message from God. It's the one message about what God has done. It can't kind of... We can't put it in the way that we would like to, I think, in our culture on the shelf next to all of the other potential life philosophies and options that we have. I don't know if you've noticed, but People out there who aren't Christians are very happy if we do that. They're perfectly content for us to say, This is an option. We think it's a really great option. Christianity, we really believe it. That's okay. They, because they can walk away from that, right? They watch dozens of adverts on television every day telling them that they need this product. And they just go, Yeah, I don't really need it, do I? Unless I fancy it, in which case I might go and get it. And so long as we have a gospel that is like that, a message which says, you fancy it, Christianity is really great, and uh, we really enjoy it, we can get by fine. Uh, people are happy with that. But as soon as we say, this is a message from God about a decisive turning point in history which God has brought about in Jesus Christ, and which he requires that you submit to, bringing nothing at all to the party, That's really quite offensive to our culture. But that's what Paul says the gospel is. I don't know what you, again, I don't know what you were chatting about when you were talking about the gospel earlier. Um, I think I sometimes lose how edgy the gospel is, how um, exclusive it is. It's, It's not just a soft, comfortable message. It's not. it's also not a message that we can kind of mold and shape and change it has to be this way and no other way it matters that we get the gospel right and let me just try to boil that down to two things one is how do you actually feel in the world how do you feel about the fact that you're committed to a message which is down the line, exclusive, intolerant, as our culture would brand it. I think you're going to be uncomfortable about that if you don't really believe that this message comes from God and reports God's actions in the universe. Because otherwise, it's just on your authority, just your choice. So I think it would be a good thing to do, to go away and think about that. Actually, do I believe that this message comes from God's authority? And am I therefore happy to take a stand on this message, this Gospel about Jesus Christ, in the world at large, even though that's going to be unpopular? But but secondly, I think there's also, um, if you're, again, at all like me, you kind of have to assume that people are a little bit like you when you preach otherwise and you don't know what to say to them. But So I assume you're a little bit like me and uh, you bump up against parts of the Gospel message which you're not keen on, uh, parts of scripture which you'd rather want not there, uh, implications of the Gospel which you find pretty hard to work through and to process. I think And the book of Galatians as a whole and Galatians 1 very clearly is saying it's not up to you it's not open to you to change the message if you find it hard that's real accept that but we must ultimately say this comes from God this comes from God it's not up for grabs it's not a message that I can mess with Uh, there's a lot of stuff floating around our culture about honesty and integrity, and it's great. But if I take that to mean my honesty and integrity mean that I can't accept some things that God has said, as I think people do, you know, I just can't with integrity accept this. God is Lord of your integrity and your mind and your thinking. And I've come to a point where you just have to say, I need to submit. I don't like it, but I need to submit. And pray that God will help you, you and like it. Um, well, I've said some um, slightly hard things, maybe, about the Gospel. Let I me mean, um, just close with this. There's a good reason um, to accept this Gospel, to submit to God's authority, to be um, absolutely committed to this one message, unchanged, unchanging, unchangeable. And that is, it's the only good news there is. There isn't any other good news in the world. I don't just mean the fact that I turn on the news every day and there is no good news, although that's true. But what I mean is, even the best news stories in the world are temporary, fading, outweighed by all of the bad stuff that's going on. There is no other good news, nothing that is guaranteed nothing that is actually already in place, nothing that tells me God is fixing this creation, has done the decisive thing, is working it out in you apart from Paul's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is good news. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from all of the mess, the mess in the world, the mess in me, the mess that I have made of my life, the immorality. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Tim's going to, oh, Charlie's going to lead us actually, I think. Tim's going to lead us. Tim and Charlie are going to lead us. (laughs) Let's uh, respond in in worship uh, because the gospel is good news and we've heard it and received it.